Good morning. Wow, what a beautiful morning we have. It's even cool enough in here this morning. We're not roasty toasty. This is great. I'm Pastor Bruce. Welcome, everybody. Good to see you here. And uh, also online, welcome to all of you that are joining us through the electrons out there in space. Glad that we're sharing together our love for Jesus and the wonderful presence of the Holy Spirit. I know others are coming in, and as they do, make sure they feel right at home and welcome. And I'd like to begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come together this morning, getting dressed, getting showered, combing our hair, getting all the to-dos to-done, and having come to your house, Lord God, to be refreshed, to be encouraged, to be blessed. And we thank you, God, that we can give you glory today in our worship, our music, our voices, our prayers, our actions. Lord, we give you our very selves today because we know that nothing, nothing can separate your love for us in Christ Jesus. That's a great promise. We thank you that we live into it today and always in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing. Let's give glory to God. Good morning, everybody. We're going to rely on your voices this morning. I'm, I'm singing bass this morning from McCall. But we're grateful to be here. We're grateful to worship the Lord. Um, he's definitely worthy of our praise. Who is the great king of glory? Seated on high in the heavens. Oh. Jesus, you alone. You are the Lord God Almighty, strong in compassion and mercy. Since worthy all the heavens exist. 
life is in your hands you are my confidence you keep your promises forever forever and amen you keep your promises forever and amen in prayer heavenly father lord god it is a wonder that we can come to sing and mean it it's a wonder, Lord God, that you transform us, that your love endures forever, and that you're so patient and so, well, Lord God, you aim so carefully and so accurately and with great power and authority to transform us into the image you intend for us to have, to be like Christ, holy, perfect, as you are perfect to have eternal life through faith in Jesus. Lord God, we thank you that our sins are forgiven, that Christ died on the cross to accomplish that very thing, and that, Lord God, our security lies in Christ's work for us. And God, our hearts are moved when we realize how much you love us. And so, God, we come to you this morning, and we want to thank you for who we are in Christ Jesus, who we are as a family in faith, who we are as brothers and sisters in Christ. God, thank you so much for your Holy Spirit's touch and power and authority in our lives and in the world around us. We want to pause for a minute and just lift up to you, Lord God. Eileen, as Jim's passing this last week, we pray, God, your comfort and peace upon her and all the family. And thankful that Jim Sr. is home with you in heaven through his faith in Christ alone. We thank you so much for your grace and your Holy Spirit's comforting presence. We thank you, too, for Larry Weaver and Sharon Gard, Lord God, as they continue their battle with cancer. We ask your favor upon them in healing. We thank you, God, for Rhonda Sandall as well and for her comfort and for her healing after her surgeries. And we pray, God, that she is able to go home if she's not there already, safe and sound. Thankful for Ellie Derrick and Jack's good care for her. And ask, God, your favor upon them and that we could be a loving presence for them and helping them with a meal now and then. And thank you, God, for the many ministries of the church, for their finances, for, more importantly, the people, your people, who have the heart to serve and a calling from you. And, God, we pray now that you will continue to thrive as you do by the power of your word, by the presence of your spirit and the grace of Christ to move us all closer and closer to you day by day and minute by minute. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love and your work for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I've asked Jack, if he's handy, to come on up here. As you know, our team from North Africa has safely returned, and there'll be more to share down in the fellowship hall, which they did last time, but I just couldn't wait that long, and I thought maybe Jack could just share a few brief words with us since he's probably caught up on his sleep a little bit now.
Brenda too, awesome. So it is great to be back. Um, first and foremost, thank you all who were praying for us. Uh, the trip was wonderful uh, in terms of everything except for the normal things that go on like gurgly stomachs and those kind of things. And one of our members are still uh, recovering for that. <laughs> so you can continue to pray for that, that that healing takes place. Just a brief scenario. Uh, we were only in class 10 days. So I found out the last day that we were teaching that it was time to do presentations because I was running the side of the house where they were supposed to give a five-minute presentation on their research. I found out the day before that none of them have ever, these are PhD-level students, have had any speech training at all. <laughs> so where the students ended up with only 10 days and the presentations they gave was amazing uh, that they had come that far in that 10 days. So the result of that is there's many of them who we have had texts back and forth after class. So that's an ongoing, continuing conversation, which is really cool um, in terms of that. The last thing I would say is, as you, as you continue to pray for the people in Tunisia, think about this in terms of your own life. They have no concept of grace at all. Their religion is much like we have here in the States. It's, it's a place to land. So there's all kinds of cultural things that are wrapped around it, but is there under, any understanding of the meaning of grace? It's been educated out of them. So that's really um, my prayer for them continues to be that we shared enough light that they could start to see what grace and how that really applies in a life. So that would be my continued prayer for them that they take those steps a little bit closer than they might actually be able to see what grace really means. This is dangerous. Jack doesn't know what he's getting himself in for, and poor Bruce. Before we left, I shared how hard last summer was. I just lost my mother after caring for her day after day after day for months. And it was so hard. I almost felt like I was there as a placeholder so that the team would be okay. And then a couple months ago, God said, you're going back. And I said, I'm what? And he said, you're going back. So I went back, and I want to tell you, it was the most glorious, fabulous thing to see God show up day after day to get opportunities to love on people that think a Christian is what an American is, and America is... American TV and YouTube. Think about that. That's who they think we are. So we were able to introduce people to a real Christian. And it was amazing, the change in attitudes, the change in behavior. Now, this is like pre, 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 you know, whatever, because they have no, no concept at all. So as we continue to contact them and they continue to contact us. Just pray for these dear souls that are so kind and so loving and so lost. And we love them so deeply, so please. And this is your time. If you haven't this summer been reaching out to people that walk into your sphere of influence, 
this is the time to do it. God didn't just call me. I'm not special. He is calling every single one of you that's listening to this or here today. So please follow God's leading. It is such a blessing. It's not just a trial or something really difficult. It's something that God will so bless you through. Let's pray. Father, um, we are so grateful, um, and we so often forget um, your tremendous love and care for us. Um, all the blessings you give us and the message that we carry um, and how life-changing that can be. Give us the strength, the heart, the desire to share your love, to share the true meaning of the gospel. Uh, Father, we not only pray for the people in Tunisia, but the people we come in contact with, that they too can somehow see the light that we carry and how that's made a difference in our lives. Father, thank you for the opportunity for going, for all the prayer support um, that we've received. It, it obviously made a difference in everything we were doing. Um, and we just ask you to continue to send your spirit into the world, including those in Tunisia, that they can start taking those steps to really understand your love and your grace. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Mm -hmm. All right. That's a very good word. The kids are free to head down the hallway now for Sunday school and for middle and high schoolers. Gabe's here. Good to see you guys. For those of us that are here in the sanctuary, I'm glad you're here. And for those that I have not met yet, I'm Pastor Bruce. Welcome. Glad you're here with us online as well, if that's the way you choose to do it. Uh, but we hope you'll join us here in the sanctuary someday because, as Hebrews says, don't neglect to meet together. Right? Why? So we can encourage each other. It's such an encouragement to see each other and pray for each other and get connected, uh, especially in Oregon in the summertime. We uh, Oregonians tend to just vanish uh, and run around like crazy because we know the summers don't last forever. So I get that, but we want to stay connected. And so one of the ways that the scriptures tell us to do that is to meet together in small groups, worship, all those great opportunities. We pray that those will continue. We're going to close this morning with the final reading from chapter 8. It's, <laughs> it's really beautiful. It's touched my heart so many times, and I've read it at so many funeral services, memorials, that as you could guess when I read this, it's the perfect place for that to fit, but not the only place for that to fit. It's pertinent to our very lives, especially if we struggle with salvation, like, am I really saved? Is God now upset with me to the point that I'm tossed? These words are very comforting and very reassuring and remind us of God's work and God's love for us in Christ Jesus. So I'd like to start with a word of prayer and then we'll read the text from chapter 8, 31 to 39. Heavenly Father, Abba, as your children, we come into your house today to read your message for us. And Lord God, we thank you that it is not on us. It's not our responsibility to save ourselves or to stay saved. 
Lord God, it is your work and it is your love that has drawn us to worship you this morning. And it is your work and your love that has been expressed in Tunisia and in our own neighborhoods and our own families. And God, we know that there are so many people, the vast majority of the world's population, that is counting on their works and their love for you, however they may imagine you to be. But Lord God, we know that it's the other way around. That's grace. And dear God, we pray now that these closing words would truly minister to all of our spirits, minds, and hearts, that we could serve you with that same love. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear these most amazing words that conclude chapters 5 through 8. They're huge. It's wonderful. What then shall we say in response to this, all this wonderful grace, all this saving work of God? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Is there an amen? There's a hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's cool stuff. That is just most heartwarming, encouraging word. And what a great blessing it's been at so many memorials and funerals. And this morning, because it's wonderfully comforting and it puts us in the proper place with God. We might fall into some slippage thinking that my salvation, your salvation, is tied into what we do and the depth of our love for God. And of course, then that means we're on a roller coaster, doesn't it? Good works, bad works, sin, holiness, righteousness, unrighteousness, or I love God really a lot this morning and then not so much tomorrow, and so then we kind of wonder where our salvation lies. And it all goes back to self which would be the wrong starting point. But there are many agents of worry out there that create issues for us as believers in Christ Jesus. A lot of things that make folks troubled in their souls about their condition with God, our Father, the one whom said, we're told we can say, Abba, Daddy, being adopted, being saved through faith in Christ by the grace of God. There are many things to challenge that. For one thing, there's always the legalistic Christian. The one that thinks that you must do this and do that or you're on the outs with God. 
They're out there. Know this, know that. Do this, don't do that. It's a very legalistic understanding of salvation plus whatever you're doing that has to make you right with God. And if you displease God, then maybe you're not a Christian at all. That's a challenge that's out there, and I know it's real. Then there are those that have claimed authority of the church. If you're excommunicated from a church, then therefore you have lost your salvation. That's putting your salvation in the hands of clergy, and that is nowhere in the Scriptures. We also know that there's personal feelings. You feel like you're on the outs. Have you ever felt like you're on the outs with God? Like, oh boy. I don't know if God loves me right now or if I'm still saved. Maybe I was never saved in the first place because of how I'm feeling in this very moment. Have you ever had that kind of struggle in your life? Well, Paul's writing to you and to me when we have those moments of emotional disconnect with who we are in Christ. It doesn't mean we're disconnected, but it can feel that way sometimes. And this is what Paul is addressing. So maybe we feel worthless Maybe we're feeling a little despairing. Maybe we're feeling depressed. Maybe we're just grieving over our sins. But you know, that's a good sign because the world does not grieve over their sins. Not before God. They just don't like the trouble it brings. There's a difference. Chapters 6 and 7 addressed many of those concerns about our behaviors interfering with our salvation. Look at Romans 7, 21 to 25, for example. This is Paul's transparency, his honesty about his own walk with Christ. So I find this law at work. This principle is what he's saying. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Don't you just love Jesus? You know you do, right? That's what Paul is saying. And he knows that he wants to do the right things. But I see another law or principle at work in the members of my body. In other words, that's not his real identity, but he's still sinning with what he's doing sometimes, and it really bothers him. Waging war against the law of my mind, in other words, he knows what he ought to do, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. He's feeling pretty crummy about that. He's kind of down when he thinks about it. It's just disturbing. He knows in his mind he belongs to Christ. He knows what he should do. But there's something else in his system, so to speak, in his very being, his members, he calls it, because he doesn't want to say, I am a sinner and that's my identity. His identity is in Christ, but he still sins. That's driving him crazy as I feel wretched about that. But has that changed his standing with God? Is there no more grace for Paul? He goes on to say, after feeling so wretched, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be that I got my act together finally and I'm on the right path. That's not what he says, right? He says, thanks be to God through, what? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He gives all the credit for his ongoing relationship with God through Christ and not his own works, or the depth of his love for God. That is a great starting point. And he's already dealt with this anxiety that existed in the Roman church, between the Gentile and Jewish Christians, about their standing with God, and I think ourselves today. It's a great reminder of who we are. 
So can we sin then so much that God's grace to us through faith in Jesus Christ ends? Do you remember my great Scott? No. I'm so glad you do because I save it for just that particular instance. In Romans 6, 1, shall I go on sinning so that grace can increase? Now, what's the answer? Yeah, great, you got to do it, roll the tongue, great Scott, no! It's, it's, he can't get any more emphatic. Can you sin and sin and sin greatly and sin even more and still be saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus? Yes. Paul says yes. But then he says, but that's just nuts. If you're really filled with the Holy Spirit, you know you feel wretched about it. It's a crummy deal. It's like, doggone it, I did it again. Or why did I get involved in that? Or I didn't intend to do this, but I did. Oh, man, this just stinks. That's what Paul's saying. But he's saying grace is greater than that and constant. He's already said this many times in this wonderful letter to the church in Rome to us today. That's a great treasure that we have. Then there are well-meaning Christians who say we can lose our salvation if we sin. In other words, they put the emphasis on your free will. You can freely be saved or freely be unsaved. So maybe today I choose to be in, and tomorrow I choose to be out. And it's in and it's out, and it's in and it's out. My trouble with that entire perspective is, first of all, I don't think it's well-supported in Scripture at all. And secondly, how can you even know you haven't sinned? Do I know the mind of God so clearly? Do I understand the breadth of God's ethics so completely that I understand I have totally loved God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength all day today and all week last week? Can I really say that? Can I really say I've loved my neighbor as I've loved myself? In other words, have I treated them in the same way that I would treat myself all week? Do I really care about my neighbor? Or are there some of my neighbors I really don't like? By the way, evangelism doesn't work if you don't like people. It just doesn't fly, right? How many people can say that they've loved God and loved their neighbor to that extent all the time? And you can go to bed at night and not even know for sure. And since God is holy and righteous and just and no sin slips past, then aren't we all sunk if we have to live holy and righteous lives and sin ruins it? It just doesn't make sense. How can we lose what we could never achieve in the first place? Look at, verse, look at Romans 11.6. And if by grace, then it's no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be what? Be grace. Grace is a gift of God to sinners, to people who, God so loved the world, we're actually opposed to Christ at first before the Holy Spirit transformed our spirit and gave us a living spirit alive to God. God loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son, right? Whoever believes, eternal life, right? No condemnation. So Paul says, when we know that we're saved by an act of God, there's no room left for imagining or falling prey to the temptation to think that my actions and my love or lack of it affects my salvation. You're either saved by the grace of God or you're not. That's what Paul says. And grace is a gift 
given, not something we've received because we earned it. And again, that's a wonderful bit of good news. Then some are tempted to imagine that God might unadopt you. Yes, I adopted you, I chose you, but remember the sermon on adoption? An adopted child has more rights than a natural child does in Roman law back in the first century. You cannot remove an adopted child from your household or, or remove them from co-heir status in the family. They are in because you chose them, and that's the finality of it. God adopts us in that same way. Can you think of any passage in Scripture where God unadopted anybody? Can you think of any passage in Scripture where God unsaved a saved person anywhere? Now, there are some questions, right, about whether they were saved or not. Some have left the church, and, and in one of the letters in the New Testament, it says that they never belonged to us in the first place. They weren't really believers. Then there are some what I call psychological conversions, where for whatever reasons in life, they just need the, the load lifted, the burden lifted, the guilt removed, and they feel so liberated, and it's so wonderful, and it just fills their hearts with joy and hope, but they don't really believe they just want the mess cleaned up. Kind of like the old story of, that Jesus told where if you want to clean out the house and kick out the strong man, well, if all you've got is an empty house by the time you're done, it's seven times worse later. You can't live empty. Filled with the Holy Spirit, you can live. And that Holy Spirit comes when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. That he died on the cross for the forgiveness of all your sins past sins, current sins, future sins. We can't even imagine, or maybe if we do, it's all cared for and taken care of by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ and faith alone. That's what Paul's message is. I can't find anything in Scripture where it says, I was lost, then I was found, then 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 I was lost. Ooh. Can you think of anything that goes anywhere near that in that type of language? No. We are very dearly cared for and loved. So Paul highlights two reasons now in our text. I'm going to get now to what he's doing. There are two things that Paul brings out that secures our minds about our salvation, gives us peace. First of all, the work of God for us in Christ is the first four verses, and then the love of God for us in Christ is the remainder. The work of Christ and the love those two things Paul highlights at the close of chapters 5 through 8, encapsulating our security in Jesus. So first of all, God's work for us in Christ secures our salvation. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who? You could even say, what could be against us? Can anything steal our salvation is what he's asking. He who didn't spare his own son, but gave, himself, gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Maybe some people are running around saying you'll get a better spot in heaven than somebody else. Maybe somebody will say you're not going to get to heaven at all based on your attitude or behaviors this week or whatever. There's all this stuff going on. The Jews, probably, the Jewish Christians, were probably a little bit disturbed about letting Moses and the law and all the the traditions and all the other things they were counting on, like lineage, go and resting on the grace of God. There might have been some arrogance among the Gentile Christian community 
we're more saved than you are because obviously Gentiles outnumber the Jews now, and so God has decided no more Jewish thing. It's all about the world and Gentiles now. Who knows what was going on behind the scenes? But Paul, thinking ahead, is addressing those challenges. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? If God chooses, which is what the word adoption means, to choose, can anybody unadopt anybody? It is God who justifies. He says, just as if you never sinned, I have taken care of your sins, God says. He, who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. He's not saying Christ Jesus condemns. He's saying this is the reason nobody could condemn us. Why? Because he's also interceding for us. Imagine every time we slip up and sin... What is Jesus doing? God sees us through Christ. And Christ intercedes for us. And if there's an accuser in heaven saying, look, a sinner, God, this is a sinner. You need to condemn him. They've abandoned the faith. They've ruined their testimony. They're opposed to you. They need to be on the outs with you. And Jesus intercedes and says, no, I died for them. Their sins are all forgiven. There's nothing to condemn them. There is nothing to even accuse them. There's not even the wink of an eye or a nudge of the elbow that we all know something suspicious here. Not even that. We are justified by God. Who is he that condemns? Thank God for Jesus. Our Father gave us Jesus Christ. So what shall we say in response to all this? Well, that's those preceding chapters. Five and eight are like bookends. Six and seven deal with the anxieties of a Christian life, struggling with sin. But it all comes down to what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. So who can be against us? Now, he's not talking about, in the general sense, of opposition, trials, and troubles in the world. I mean, we do have an opponent, don't we? Right? Who can be against us? Well... Satan's against us. The world opposed to God, the antichrist attitudes, that's against us. There are things that challenge us. Family members can be against us in various ways, right? Our, our own hearts can deceive us sometimes. There's a struggle there, the members, as Paul would say. There are things that go on that are against us. But what Paul is referring to is not the general opposition and the challenges we face. What he's talking about is our salvation. Can anybody or anything steal our salvation? Is there anybody against us like that? So he asks a rhetorical question. Who or what could undo your salvation in Christ? And that's where the trouble comes, because a lot of people get disturbed by that, the ups and downs of wondering. If I could undo my salvation, I would have to be greater than God. If anybody else could undo your salvation or mine, they'd have to be greater than God. If any church or denomination could undo it, they'd have to be greater than God. And if anything else under heaven could possibly do it, it would have to be greater than God. Nothing, nothing can steal our salvation because God's grace to us in Christ Jesus makes us secure God's work because God is for us. Nothing can take away our salvation 
Romans 5, 6 to 8, you see at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Then there is no reason to think that if we sin as a believer in Christ Jesus, the saving work of Jesus is now moot. We were ungodly when Christ was willing to die for us. We were ungodly and powerless sinners when, for God so loved the world, he gave. And he didn't give and then say, now it's your turn, I'm done, you're up. I call that the Jesus plus plan. Jesus gets you started, but after that it's on your head to continue the fight to be saved. That's what some people think, and I call it the Jesus plus plan. That isn't grace. What did Paul say? If grace is mixed with works, it's no longer grace. You cannot mix the two. They are incompatible with each other. We're saved by grace. Why then do we work? Because we love God. That's what a disciple does. We serve, not to be saved. Because we're saved and loved by God, we serve. That's why it goes that way that it does. And I am really loving Romans 8.1. I, I hope that maybe if you want to memorize something, it's short and sweet and right to the point. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wow. No condemnation at all. When you see God face to face, it's going to be a brilliant wonderful moment, isn't it? Don't you think? And I think the tears that he wipes away from our eyes maybe aren't necessarily the sufferings that we experienced following Christ. I think it might be that, wow, I'm, I, I can recognize now for the very first time how holy God truly is and how unholy I was. But thank God now I am made holy by the righteous act of God that I can be with him forever. Wow. That almost makes me tear up now. Well, it kind of does. I get teared up now. The older I get, the weirder it gets. You know, I can tear up at a commercial now. I could not have done that in my 20s and 30s. I don't know. Maybe I'm losing my mind. Maybe you do it too. I married a very emotional person over here, so I'm just trying to catch up with her. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen, he asks. Who's going to condemn any Christian that's saved by God's grace? They'd have to be bigger and greater and more authoritative and more holy than God. He's referring to Judgment Day. Can anybody condemn us when Christ Jesus is interceding for us and has saved us? Paul says, no. Now, don't apply this if a cop pulls you over for speeding. You cannot say to somebody, hey, I claim immunity. I'm a Christian. There can be no accusations made. The Bible says so. I think that probably won't fly, and it might even ruin your testimony to a tremendous degree, right? We're talking about the end point where we face God, and all of our sins are removed, and the only thing left to judge is what's good, made clear and perfect by Christ. That is a great gift. So, when we meet God, will anybody accuse us of any sin? 
Will there be any evidence presented? Will there be any innuendos or accusations or assumptions? No. No. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Yes. But the gift of God, of God, is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God. It's, there's five through eight are incredible. Read it over and over and over full of wisdom and joy. It is God who justifies. You do not have to justify yourself. You don't have to justify your life. You don't have to justify the good that you did. Remember what they tried to do in heaven on Judgment Day where there was a group of people who claimed to be Christians, and they said, but Lord, we, thank you, but Lord, we did this in your, see, God closed the door on those people. We, but Lord, we did this for you. We did that for you. We did this in your name. We did that in your name. And then Jesus says, but I never knew you. They tried to justify themselves based on what they had done and not what Christ had done for them. Dramatic contrast. We owe everything to what God has done for us. So who could possibly condemn us? Well, God possibly could, but we know that God never would. That's grace. Our security isn't through being perfectionists. Our security is through a perfect intercessor, Jesus. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. That is where a defense attorney sits, in a court of judgment. On the right hand of God, on our left, is our defender facing the judge. And we are declared innocent, and not even any charges are brought. We are right with God because Jesus intercedes for us. So Jesus doesn't provide temporary salvation, does he? No. That would be, again, the Jesus plus plan. I have to stay saved. I have to straighten up. I need to be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. And we're told to do that three times in the New Testament. But we fall short. The wages of sin is death. Paul says, what a wretched man that I am. Who gets all the praise? Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. Over and over and over. It's never a message of, well, you've had a bad week. You better do better next week. You could probably be okay with God. That is nowhere in Scripture, Old or New Testament. We're saved by the grace of God, thanks to Christ. Hebrews 7.25, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, through Jesus, because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is, again, the, the agent of our salvation. John 10, 28. This is another good one. I love it very much. I give them eternal life, and they shall not perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And you know what comes to mind? I've raised two girls. I haven't raised boys, although I've got four grandsons now, and they're a lot more lively than I think our girls were energetic-wise, um, although Karen was our go-go girl. She was a goer. But can, do you remember grabbing the collar of a kid so they didn't run out or run off? Do you remember hanging on to their hand? Now hold on to my hand. And the kid, you know, starts to go that way or that way, but you're stronger than they are. You've got them. They cannot slip out of your hand. That's the image I always get where Jesus says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Because it's like, here's Jesus hanging on to my hand, and I'm going, 
stumbling around in, in my members of sin, as Paul would describe it, and yet he never lets me go. He never turns me loose. He never lets me get hit by traffic. He never lets me die in my sins. Thank you, God, for Jesus. That's the image that I have when I think about this verse. All those the Father has given me, I'll never let go. That's assurance. That's safety. That's security. It all goes back to Jesus. So Paul's point in these opening verses is really simple. We're saved by the work of Jesus and no works of our own. It is by the grace of God that we're saved. Thank God for the work of Jesus who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, was buried, raised from the grave, which then authenticates the work of the cross, giving us and guaranteeing us eternal life. This is a great, tremendous way to close these chapters. The work of Jesus Christ eclipses any imaginary work that we think we could do to have merit with God. We're saved by the grace of God. Then secondly, thank God for the good work of Christ for us. What would we have if we didn't have love? And that's the second point. God's love for us in Christ secures our salvation. We've got the work, and now we have the love, and we need the love. The reason I think this really flies well in a memorial service or a funeral service is because when we lose somebody whom we love, we feel the loss. It's tremendous. And it's comforting to know how much God loves us and that we can't lose that love and that because of Christ Jesus, reunions are coming and love, the Bible says, never ends. There's so much there. It's a wonderfully comforting stretch. So here's how it closes, chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, there is absolutely nothing he can think of, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow, that's cool. I love that. Don't you, you love that. You can, you can hear it. This is the wonderful love that we all need. For God so loved, he loves us. He continually loves us. What could separate us from the love of God? Even a bad day. No matter what. God's love is constant. The emphasis, don't miss this, the emphasis is on the steady love of Jesus Christ and not our love for Christ. Did you catch that? Our love is unsteady. We've got our good moments. We've got our bad moments. We've got anxious moments and self-interest moments. We've got all those moments. 
Our love can wax and wane. The feelings can come and the go. We can have those dry spells. We can feel far from God. But Paul's not talking about us and how we feel. He's talking about the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. That is constant. No ups or downs. Constant. And that's the means of our security and gratitude and why we worship God this morning. 1 John 4, 9-10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that he, we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, right? But that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Where's the emphasis on God's love for us? When we get the thing turned around and we think it's our love for God, that's where the trouble lies. We want to love God. I love God. You love God. I want to love God more. I want my heart to always be loving God. But let's admit it, unless I'm sinless, and unless you're sinless, our love for God has its ups and downs. Don't ever get that confused with the constancy of God's love for you and for me. That's what Paul's saying. Christ defends us, but he also dearly, dearly loves you and me very, very much and always will. Now, there are certain events in my life where I might imagine that maybe God has decided not to love me anymore. Wouldn't that be weird? But sometimes those thoughts can be temptations that pop into our minds. How many of us have been through a hardship and thought that maybe we're on the outs with God? You know, circumstances, they're emotional. You feel it. Satan is an opportunist, loves those moments where Satan can wiggle in there and say, you know, the reason you're having the trouble is because God does not love you anymore and is fed up. Now you're going to really suffer for it kind of a pre-hell. You're on the wrong path. And I know that some people have come to me and they've really struggled. This is happening in my life. I don't know if God loves me anymore. How come this is happening? Where's God's love? And Paul says there's nothing. And he knows from experience there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that's partly why he lists things the way he does. He lists examples like trouble in your life. Paul said trouble. He's had hardships. He's had persecutions. He's had famine. He's had nakedness. He's been in danger. There are people that have tried to kill him, the sword. And he says, you know, I've been through all that, and I know how it feels, and I know how threatening that is, and it can really make you anxious, worry. And Paul says, but you know, honestly, none of that can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Look at the examples he gives us in 2 Corinthians. I've been constantly on the move, he writes. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled. I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked for Christ's sake. I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong because he's relying on Jesus. What if he were to say, I've been in danger from bandits. Where is God's love? 
I've been in danger from natural disasters. Where's God's love? In other words, he's saying, your circumstances have nothing to do with God's enduring love, although God is very interested in our circumstances. Somebody once said, God is more interested in your character than your circumstances. Do you think there's some merit there? I do. We grow a lot, don't we, when we struggle. Why do teachers give their students examinations? To make them struggle just a little bit harder and maybe they'll learn even more. Right? God does this. And then he adds Psalm 44:22. That's that weird quote. You wonder, why is that in there? Sheep to be slaughtered? I mean, it sounds so strange. All he is saying, all he's getting across at this point is don't think that circumstances in your life are any different than Old Testament saints experienced. Believers in Christ, Old Testament and New, will struggle and have these issues. But don't think Old or New Testament or today that those circumstances mean that God does not love you dearly and eternally. He does. He loves his children whom he has adopted, chosen, called, elected to be his sons and daughters in Christ Jesus, and we owe him everything. So, yes, our circumstances can come and go, but God's love is constant, and we can count on him. So despite all that, what does Paul say? We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's gift. There's a man named Donald Barnhouse. Maybe you're familiar with the name. Uh, His wife died when... His kids were still quite young. And on the car ride to the funeral, he was struggling with how do I explain their mother's death in a way that a young child could comprehend something about it. And he was struggling in himself, and suddenly a truck passed them going the other way and cast a shadow on their car. And he thought, ah, I got an idea. And he said to his kids, kids, Would you rather be hit by that truck or by the shadow? Oh, that's easy, Dad, they said. If we got hit by the shadow, it doesn't hurt. And he said, that's right. And your mother has walked in the shadow of the valley of death and feels no pain. She's right with God. Everything's made right by God. In this world, we'll have trouble. In this world, we might get hit by a truck. But... At the end of the day, we are who we are in Christ Jesus. The work of Christ saves us, and the love of God keeps us. And that's our security, always and forever. So what does Paul conclude? He says, I am convinced. He's saying, I personally know this. I've been there, done that. I know how you feel. But he says, I am personally convinced. And here's the analogies he's given. He's saying in four opposing pairs that neither life nor death, Neither angels, the good ones, or demons, the bad ones. Neither the present nor the future. That's history, past, present, and future. No powers at all, which is just generally spiritual beings. The only one that doesn't have a pair, but it's just meant to cover every base. Neither height nor depth. In other words, he's saying, I'm trying to tell you that the scope of what I'm thinking about is vast. There is nothing at either pole, at either end, of the widest degree possible, height nor depth nor the width, nothing, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Nothing. And that includes your feelings. That includes the doubts that can arise. That includes the temptations to disbelieve the gospel, to disbelieve that grace is sufficient for you. That's what Paul is dealing with. And he says, nothing, 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 underline nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That is a tremendous gift. So Paul says, I'm convinced, and of course the pastoral question would be, are you? Are you convinced that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? That the work has been done for you. That's what grace does. And that the love of God is steady and not up and down like ours might be. The work, the love, has all been accomplished for us by our loving Father, whom we can call Abba, who has called us home to be with him forever. That's a gift. Second Timothy 1.12, Paul wrote this, That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet I'm not ashamed. He's not ashamed of what the world thought of him, that the civil courts might throw accusations at him and imprison him, because I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. My prayer going forward into the message today was to pray that there wouldn't be a single soul who will leave worship this morning without knowing the saving work of Jesus Christ and don't rely on your own. It's the work of God for us in Christ that saves us and secures us and never lets us go. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And also to know that the love of God is constant for you. Constant for you. Isn't it wonderful to know how loved you are? Yeah, it is. It's a gift. And I pray that every one of us can go home today buoyed up in our security that God has provided for us in Christ Jesus. Maybe you're thinking, hmm, I don't know if I'm saved this morning. And I'm, I'm not a Baptist. I've been a Presbyterian all my life. But you know what? I remember the day I got my friend Ken to come to church one time and the minister didn't share the gospel at all the whole service and I went home so depressed. <laughs> and I thought, if I'm ever a minister, I'll make sure that never happens. Uh, that's been 30 years of ministry now and I still offer the gospel because I never know. My dad was uh, 57 years old and finally came to Christ. My mom felt her hand go up once when evangelist asked people to confess their faith to Jesus. He was already the church secretary in the choir. Mom just felt the Holy Spirit went, rip. her hand lost control. God took over. Um, I don't know of anything like that. Only God knows, but it'd be a shame, wouldn't it, if we missed that opportunity. If the Holy Spirit's moving right now, I just want to be quiet for a minute. Just say, God, you have touched my heart this morning with the good news, and I get it. Christ died for all of my sins and that I now have freedom in Jesus, and I know that you love me very much, and you'll never let me go. Help me to live into it by the power of your Spirit, that the world can see your love in me and through me. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much for hearing our voices. Lord, maybe we're just grateful this morning and really don't have words, just gratitude in our hearts. Thank you so much. Thank you, God, for who we are in Christ. Thank you for choosing us and calling us to be believers in Christ. Thankful that you never let us go, even though sometimes, Lord God, we're rascals, we're difficult, we're ornery, we're grumpy. Our love goes up and down. But Lord God, your love doesn't behave like ours does. You are a constant in our lives. Your love never ends. Your faithfulness to all generations in Christ. We're thankful, Father, that our sins are forgiven. That you've declared us righteous. You've justified us. And so, God, we come to your house today and give you thanks. I pray that for someone here this morning, someones maybe, who have realized, I want to have that living relationship with you, that, God, I thank you for Holy Spirit's work this morning in their lives. And I'm grateful we all are for your ongoing work. Help us, as our Tunisia team told us, to think about our own circumstances and our own locations, to be your witnesses. And may your Holy Spirit do your great work, that more people can know your love and your saving grace. In your name we pray, amen. Um, my, my, my thought about Baptist, by the way, was only the altar call thing. Uh, Baptists typically have altar calls. I've only done a few of those. Um, it's not a disparagement. I just thought, huh, what's he saying Baptist for? I love Baptists, but I just wanted to let you know that uh, altar call or not, if you've shared with God this morning that your love for Jesus is new and real this morning, you're saved. Don't ever doubt it. And, uh, and you can share that with me after church or share with anybody around you. That's glorious good news. All right. Let's stand. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. I Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When darkness fails his lovely face, I rest on his Oh, there. 
want to say rock on yeah yeah we are who we are in Christ what a glorious way to close chapter 8 don't you think Paul nails it and for our pleasure and purpose this morning what a glory ah moves my heart that's what God does let's pray the Lord's Prayer together our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And oh, may the wonderful love of Abba, our Father in heaven, and the tremendous sacrificial grace that we have received through faith in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that makes us a family be with you now and all forever and ever can say amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week ahead. Come on down to the fellowship hall. Enjoy each other's company. Feel that wonderful, joyful spirit. Mm -hmm.